0: Welcome to SyFAR's Point 2 l and Nation podcast. Join us today for a discussion with Rob Sibba and Maria Papasabastos about the new amendment to New York City's pay transparency law, which requires that employers advertising for jobs, promotions, and transfer opportunities will have to disclose the anticipated pay for the position. Rob and Maria will analyze the amendment and will discuss the revisions to the law, as well as the obligations and requirements that are being imposed on employers. We hope you enjoy.
1: Earlier this year, New York City passed a law that required salary and wage information to be included in job postings and advertisements for open positions, both internal and external, as well as promotion opportunities. The law was scheduled to go into effect May 15th, but on May 12th, New York City Mayor Adams signed into law an amendment that, among other things, pushed the effective date of this new law to November 1st, 2022. We're here today to talk about this new amendment, some of the revisions to the law, as well as a few thoughts regarding compliance as we begin our approach to the new effective date. I'm here with Maria Papasevasto, Senior Associate at SciFarth, whose practice focuses on pay equity issues with a specific focus on pay transparency and wage range disclosure laws, as well as defending such claims in litigation. Hey, Maria, how are you today?
0: Hi, Rob. Doing well.
1: Great. My name is Rob Sibba, I'm a partner at Cypherth and I focus on advising employers on compliance with various federal, state, and local requirements for hiring, employer relations, and terminations of employment. I also defend employers in lawsuits that challenge various employment practices. Now, as mentioned, before this new law had a chance to go into effect, on May 12th, 2022, Mayor Adams signed this amendment into law. We don't really see this too often, that a law is amended before it even goes into effect. Maria, what do you think happened here that led to this amendment and all these new revised provisions in the law?
0: Yeah, I think during the last legislative session, there was a push to get this law passed. And the sponsor of the bill, the initial bill, her term was coming to an end. And I think there was a push to get this law in place before the end of that legislative session. So it it was passed during the last meeting of the legislature. I think then when the new legislature came in, there was a bit of pushback from the business community and concerns about how they would implement this law, all the specifics of the law. There were a lot of unanswered questions that had to be answered. And the city commission on human rights answered a few of those questions in their fact sheet. But I think the business community was still trying to figure out how to implement this new law. So with that, I think that the new amendment was meant to address those concerns and give employers a bit more time to figure out how they would comply.
1: Well, really, to your point, I think the issue, if I heard you right, was that there, there was a lot of ambiguities in some of these requirements. The law was charging forward originally to go live on May 15th, and there really wasn't sufficient time to get all these questions answered, to get everybody's ducks in a row and get into compliance for May 15th. So this November 1st, 2022 date really gives us a lot of runway to try to figure out some of these nuances, wouldn't you say?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think there wasn't much pushback with the amendment on this too. I think everyone that you heard from in the legislative hearings and the commission on human rights and everyone wanted to give employers time to get into compliance and the goal here wasn't really to have a gotcha moment where the law goes into effect and then you are issuing penalties or anything like that the commission made clear that their goal from the beginning wasn't to issue penalties it was to make sure employers were complying with this and knew how to do so so i think that makes total sense
1: well, that's certainly a, uh, a, a nice a spirit of cooperation that we're seeing, so that's great. So beyond the effective date, the amendment also makes a few other revisions to the law. Let's talk about them one by one to kind of identify them and, and see about what they might possibly mean. So the first one that comes to mind is the law seems to now clarify that it does not apply to, and I'm going to quote the language here, positions that cannot or will not be performed at least in part in the city of New York. So if a position cannot or will not be performed in New York, there is no salary disclosure requirement. Why this awkward negative will not and cannot language, Maria, what what does that refer to?
0: so i think the intent is similar to what the commission on human rights put in their fact sheet where they clarified that if a position can or will be performed in new york city then it has to include this and it the fact sheet kind of goes through even if it's performed remotely from an employee's home so i think that was the intent of this but it's it is a little strange that it's phrased in in the opposite It may just be the phrasing and kind of there's a couple items under this where they're excluding certain things from the law. So that may be why it just fit better that way. But that's the intent. I mean, it's really to follow what the commission had said, how they interpreted the law originally, where if the position can be performed remotely from an employee's home in New York City, then you have to include the compensation disclosure here.
1: So I think that's really, I think that's really the key issue here because it's really a pretty easy analysis. If the position is in New York City, the person's going to be sitting in an office in New York City. That's obvious. The remote positions are the ones that give me a lot of trouble though, because if you have a company who's located outside of New York City, who's hiring for a remote position, I mean, to be honest with you as an employer, how am I going to know that somebody in New York City is going to apply? How am I going to know that where they are, you know, in terms of their geography, no matter what, if they use an address in one state, but they actually reside in another state or they move. It seems to me like that's an incredible burden on employers to sort of have this omnipotent position of who, you know, of of where everybody is in the world. That's really difficult to implement. I got to be honest with you. it, It just seems like Out of an abundance of caution, this this seems to be an end run to try to get every company in the world who's advertising online for a remote position to comply with this law, because theoretically, there might be one applicant in New York City at some point in time, potentially.
0: Totally. I I completely agree. And it's a lot of what I hear from employers and especially in the world we're living in today with a lot of people working remotely after the pandemic and having hybrid work arrangements. I think this comes up all the time and a lot of positions will have a remote work component. And for a lot of companies, a position can be performed within New York City. And if you have one employee in New York City and four employees somewhere else, you're gonna have to be subject to this law. And it's definitely tricky and broad and it's something that employers definitely need to keep an eye on because the commission is moving full speed ahead on this and the legislature has now incorporated it into the law specifically so that is how they're interpreting it
1: so i think you just said something really important that i want to circle back to i was kind of you know chicken little the sky is falling oh my god everybody has to comply with this new york city is doing crazy stuff but some comfort potentially is that this law only really applies to employers who have four employees really anywhere One of whom, one of those employees is in New York City. So if you're a company that has no matter how many employees, but you don't have pre-existing employees in New York City, this might not apply to you is what you're saying. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Well, at least that makes me feel a little better about the reach of this (laughs) law. (laughs) Not by much, but a little bit. And... One of the things that I recall from one of our previous episodes was speaking with one of the attorneys from the New York City Commission, and she mentioned that the commission would accept an employer saying in their job posting, basically, this position cannot be performed in New York City. What are your thoughts on that?
0: So I appreciate that position from special counsel at the commission. I do. Uh, I think we all do. (laughs) I'm cautious with that approach, though, because I think Colorado has taken a different approach on that with targeting companies that are excluding using exclusionary language where you're excluding Colorado applicants. And they've taken the position that you can't do that in job postings.
1: Wasn't there a bait and switch here? Didn't Colorado start off saying you could and then switched yeah. switched gears, changed, changed their mind?
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, there is something like that. Um, oh, boy. So, yeah, I'd be a bit concerned about that here. I am also kind of concerned about the optics, of course, for a company doing that. And I mean, New York City is a big market and I don't know of a lot of clients who want to do that and exclude New York City people as well. So
1: in the age of the great recession, I can't imagine this being a a truly palatable option to exclude, you know, a couple of million people out of your talent pool. But you know, certainly things to think about in a little bit more detail as as employers are approaching the new effective date. So beyond the jurisdictional considerations here, the law also clarifies that the disclosure that it requires is really limited to the annual salary or hourly wage, whichever is applicable for the position. I thought that was relatively clear before. Why do you think that this clarification came into being?
0: So the prior law only referenced a salary. So I think it's really to just get at the point that it includes an hourly wage as well. I think that was why. And the commission's fact sheet specified that. So I think that was just a codification of that clarification.
1: And we're not going to be disclosing things like benefits or bonuses or commissions, incentive pay, perks, or no matter what other types of job benefits or whatever in the disclosure. Yeah, right?
0: correct. That's, that's not what this law requires.
1: Okay. Well, that's good in that it's uh, a limited information set. What about the other aspect of this law? You know, we're talking about compliance a lot, but, you know, sometimes mistakes get made and things go wrong. Things don't go according to plan. But what about the enforcement side? My understanding is that the private right of action is now somehow limited. Can you walk us through that a little bit?
0: Yeah. So I think that's that's a big point of this new amendment as well. You are now not able to bring a private right of action as an applicant for a position. It's only current employees who can bring a cause of action in a court. So I think that's a big win for employers because the concern here was really that you would have people out there applying for positions at all different companies just to bring lawsuits against those companies and get these huge penalties that you can get under the law. So I think this relieves a bit of those concerns because you have to be a current employee to be able to bring a lawsuit.
1: There was also some language that was added in here that for first violations, the penalty will be zero, that there won't be a monetary penalty, especially if the employer can prove that the violation is cured within 30 days. It's a little curious, though, as to why there would be a zero penalty for a first violation. Is this just the commission trying to be nice to employers who, you know, had a accident the first time around or how... What's the motivation here?
0: Yeah, I think that goes to kind of what we were talking about at the beginning, where the commission's goal here isn't really to issue penalties from the beginning. Their goal is to get companies into compliance. And there will be a learning curve, of course, as companies do this. So the goal will be to not have penalties for the first violation. There's a bit of a caveat here because the law also states now that if you prove that you've cured a violation within the 30 days, that will be deemed an admission of liability for all purposes. So it's not clear exactly on what this means, and the Commission issued a new fact sheet since the amendment was issued, and it doesn't really clarify what this means either. But our thinking here is that yes, you'll kind of get a free pass for the first violation, but then if you violate it again, you will be held to have kind of violated the law to begin with, even if you didn't get a penalty, and perhaps could get higher penalties the second time around.
1: So the first time is at zero and the second time could be more expensive because (laughs) your first time counts. You just didn't get fined.
0: Yeah, I think so.
1: Interesting. So as employers are ramping up for compliance purposes, is there any sort of overarching theme, any overarching consideration that you would point out or or kind of give for consideration?
0: So I think a question that comes up a lot for me as I'm advising employers on these laws is how do we deal with New York City in relation to other laws like this? How does it compare to other laws? Are there laws that are stricter, uh, more lenient? So I think kind of looking at it holistically and figuring out which jurisdictions require this in job postings and require the minimum and maximum salary ranges or require benefits disclosures or other compensation disclosures, you'll have to look at that and kind of come up with an approach that makes sense for your organization in dealing with with multiple laws across multiple jurisdictions. I mean, as of now, you have Colorado, you have Jersey City, New Jersey, you have Ithaca, New York, just passed a law uh, that will become effective September 1st. You have Westchester County, New York, that will also go into effect soon, and Washington State. So I think those laws are the ones that require posting compensation information and or benefits information in job postings. And an employer should consider all of those laws holistically and kind of come up with an approach that best meets the requirements in those jurisdictions.
1: Maria, it's always a pleasure to chat with you about these issues. Maybe we can do this again and talk about Ithaca or some of these other laws and continue the conversation. But for now, thanks so much for your comments and your thoughts. And we look forward to talking again.
0: Sounds great. Thanks, Rob. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of CIFAR's Point Two LNU Nation podcast.